we pray for everybody um, to make sure everything is good. We've been praying, praying for you guys' health over here, uh, making sure that you guys are moving forward, doing the best you can. So we'll keep you in prayer for that, too. Um, and with that in mind, um, enjoy the breakfast this morning. We'll go ahead and get started with the word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to come before you and hear what your word has to say to us. Lord, we just wait to hear the Spirit speak to us. We thank you for the knowledge and the wisdom that comes from you. And we thank you for greater understanding as we do research, as we look things up, as we have discussion about what's happening. Bless us, Lord. We pray now and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're continuing in our study on prayer, or not prayer, excuse me. We're continuing in our study about heaven, and we're going to be talking about heaven um, a little bit more now. And we have another question to cover as we move towards the end of this particular study. But a couple of questions came up, and so we covered some things uh, over the past couple of weeks, and we're going to cover this one this week. Um, And this is for general knowledge as well. It's assumed that everyone in this room knows about heaven. Amen. We have a general knowledge about it, but we also know that because we are called upon to disciple other people and talk to other people about subjects related to Jesus Christ. And one very important subject is heaven. You're going to want to be able to speak um, very intelligently about these subjects and lean people in the right direction and have them give them information about these things. And one of the things that comes up about heaven is this thing about judgment. And making sure that we're talking about it in the proper context is always very important. First of all, without getting too deep into this um, aspect of judgment, first of all, our issue about judgment when it comes to our eternal destination, because we accepted Jesus Christ as, his pers- as our personal Savior, that issue is taken care of. Amen? We don't have to worry about where we're going to be in, our, in eternity. And we have to understand that that's a very important lesson for us to carry with us as we go forward and teach and have conversations with other people. But let's look at the top of the handout. The question, what is the judgment seat of Christ slash Bema seat of Christ? And we, I think uh, Brother Beecher and I had a brief conversation last week about what we're going to talk about this week. And... You know, it's very important for us to know definitions of words if you're going to have conversations with people. You know, the the natural desire is just to go forward like nothing happened and like you're sitting in class. And, you know, you know how you sit in class and like people have these days looks on their faces, right? They're looking around. The professor will say something and they'll have these looks on their faces. And it's like no one will ask the question. And the reason why they don't ask the question is because they're embarrassed to raise their hand and show that they don't know something. Well, that's not you guys. You guys are at the point now where you shouldn't be embarrassed to raise your hand or ask questions about something. And one of the words that comes up is Bema, as in Bema Seed of Christ. And who remembers what Bema stands for? What does Bema represent? Does anybody remember that when we talked about it before? Here we go. Anybody remember? Elevated. It's an elevated platform. That's right. Very good. Now, see, Carol, her hand shot up right away. 
because she remembered it. And that's fine. The, the point is, is that if you don't know what a word means, look it up. We have all kinds of sources. I was showing Brother Beecher. I typed in the word Bema on my laptop computer, on my iPad. And sure enough, the first thing that pops up is a dictionary definition of the word Bema. Because you have that available to you, you can look it up and you can search these things out. In other words, as a Bible scholar, and and I'm going to refer to you guys as Bible scholars because you're learning and you're learning more and more about it. Not every single word is going to be represented in the Bible that we have conversations about, but you can still look them up. That's why we have Bible dictionaries. That's why there are dictionaries. Use the sources that you have now. We are blessed beyond measure today. The resources that we have to look up information about Scripture are numerous. They're all out there. And sometimes it's just as simple as, you know what? I didn't try this. I should have thought about it. For those of you who have an iPhone, you have to you know, ask Siri, Siri, what is Bema? And see what you get back. <laughs> but it might give you back a definition. It's going to do the same thing it just did here to look it up. Bema. Um, it's a noun, the altar part or sanctuary in ancient and orthodox churches. In Judaism, it's the podium or platform in a synagogue from which the Torah and prophets are read. And historical, the platform from which orators spoke in ancient Athens. So you see there's a history. There's a Jewish history. There's a Greek history of the word bima. And it basically means it's an elevated platform. Now what this means is if you put this two and two together... The Bema seat, the judgment seat, is a big throne, a big seat on an elevated platform that's raised up. So you're looking up. And someone else made the point also, too, that in the old days, when we're looking at where kings were sitting, they were sitting up on platforms and thrones. So it's, it's really that simple. It's nothing magic. It's just basically that simple what it is. So now we understand what Bema seat is. It's on a platform. And it's the seat that Christ is going to be using to proclaim judgment. Now, let's get into it a little bit further. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And that's being pulled from the ESV version. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 tells us, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is do us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In context, it is clear that both passages refer to Christians, not unbelievers. The judgment seat of Christ, therefore, involves believers giving an account of their lives to Christ. So, going back to what I said before, if you are a believer, The problem or solution has already been taken care of as far as your eternal destiny. You're going to be with Christ in heaven. But that doesn't mean you're off the hook. Is that a fair comment? Because you still have accountability for the life you live as a believer in Jesus Christ. Accountability. And man, oh man, what is missing usually in this world today, in the fleshly world, it's accountability. Where people will do things and think they can get away with them and they don't, they don't feel like they have to answer to anybody. I'm going to do what I want to do I'm gonna, and have an attitude about it. And they're not accountable to anybody else. 
Now, that's not you. Amen? Amen. That's not who you are. You are accountable. And you recognize in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you have accountability for the things that you have done. That's why we've spent all kinds of time about how you live as a believer in Jesus Christ, where your faith is, how you can grow your faith, how your faith can propel you into ways of doing things that you never thought you'd ever get into. But accountability is the issue here. So this, while this may be an opportunity for discussion with other people who want to learn about heaven and Jesus Christ, believers need to understand you're not off the hook. You just don't get saved and sit on the sideline somewhere. You still have accountability for what you have done. And you're going to have to answer for it. And I think that's appropriate. As God took the time to create you and give you a purpose for living, what are you doing with your purpose? How are you living out your life? So that's when it'll be a very, very interesting meeting before Jesus Christ. Now, I, this is not meant to be a sobering comment because truly if you're living as he would have you, if you're living in a pleasing existence, if you're being a person who's obedient to his word, you're really in good shape. The challenge you have is how often are you being obedient? How often are you, you know, looking to him for guidance and wisdom in what you're doing? How often are you seeking him? Are you just living, going through the motions with your life? Or are you truly seeking him to find out ways that you can be a person who glorifies Jesus Christ? Okay. Any questions about that? I didn't think there would be. I just asked the question. Okay. So let's move on. The judgment seat of Christ does not determine salvation. That's what we said at the top of this to make it very clear. That was determined by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. John 1, 2, 1 John 2, 2, and our faith in him. Let's, we, we know John three sixteen. Turn to 1 John 2, 2. I'll start with verse 1. 1 John 2, 1. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for those, also for those of the whole world. That's from the Christian Standard Bible Version. And understand something. We look at the fact that he knows we're going to sin. He tells us not to sin. But even if we do sin, he's our advocate. The moment we repent and turn back to him, he says, I forgive you. And you maintain a relationship with him. 
And the more you don't sin, the healthier your relationship will be with him. There should be an ongoing progression, knowing that he is our advocate. He is the one who is righteous. He gives us righteousness because of what he did for us on the cross. And we know what John 3.16 says, don't we? What does John 3.16 say? Wow, I can hear my wife really well because she's right in front of me. And I heard Ann. Some of you are very quiet. Go ahead, start over again. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Right? Because he loves the world. He loves us. He gave of himself for us. It was a self-sacrifice for our benefit. All of our sins are forgiven and we will never be condemned for them. Go to Romans 8.1. I'm going to read verses, eight and, or verses 1 and 2 in Romans 8. Romans 8. And stepping back for a second, verse 17 is just as important in John 3.16. And I'll just read it to you. I, I know I've said in the past, too, that it's really important to emphasize verse 17 along with John 3.16. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's just as important to say verse 17 as well as John 3:16. He doesn't want to see people perish. He wants to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's the entire world. That's everyone in the world. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Always be conscious of the fact that those who do not have a, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ are under eternal condemnation because of sin there is only one destination for people like that and that's death but not just physical death but the spiritual death that is referred to and what we're going to be talking about a little bit more later on that is why as a people who are truly seeking the heart of god it should be in your heart as well to see no one perish. No one that you know. You don't like it. You don't want to see it happen. You want to make sure that you're doing everything you can do. Prayer being the first thing, but even having conversations with people about the truth about Jesus Christ. Because you don't want to see people perish. Because you are freed from the law of sin and death that's because you have a relationship with him. Those who don't have a relationship, they are under condemnation now. And will remain that way until there's a change. Until they acknowledge Christ in their life. Having a heart for Jesus Christ 
is very important when we talk about this whole thing about this judgment seat. When you are not truly witnessing or not speaking to people about Christ or not doing things about that, guess what? You're going to have to account for that. You're going to have to account for it. I'm not saying this to, you know, do anything to give you pause other than just give you the facts. He wants, he wants you to be like-minded as he is like-minded with you when it comes to the Spirit. He wants you to see the importance of looking at other people and witnessing, sharing, bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Spirit's the one that has to do it, but you have to talk people into it to get to that point. You have to give them the information. And it's their choice. Just consider those things going forward. Okay. We should not look at the judgment seat of Christ as God judging our sins, but rather as God rewarding us for our lives. Now, that's an encouraging thing to think, too. Because obviously there are some things that you have been doing that have been good. Amen? And they're good because Jesus Christ deems them righteous. They're righteous actions because of your relationship with him. There's a difference between you doing good things and a non-believer doing good things. Amen? Amen? There's a difference. You're acting in Jesus' righteousness when you do these things. They have a meaning. They have a, they have a purpose. It's something to keep in mind. Yes, as the Bible says, we will have to give an account of ourselves. Part of this is surely answering for the sins we committed. I am not looking forward to that. And no one should be looking forward to that. Because everyone in this room has sinned, not just a little bit, but a lot. Amen? We have. I mean, you're probably sinning every day. (laughs) But there comes a point where, thank goodness, you are made righteous because of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, and if it wasn't for Christ, where would we be? Where would we be? Well, we would be in hell. My wife just comes out and says, we'd be in hell, you know. Thank you, darling. <laughs> but that's very true. We, we, we wouldn't have anything to look forward to. This is not going to be the primary focus of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'm going to trust that's true. The judgment seat of Christ is going to talk about the good things we do and the bad things we do. Primary focus, um, not so sure about that. Only because... Ultimately, he is, we're going to have to account for our actions and what we've, had to, what we've done. And, you know, it's just like when I've interviewed people and I've, had, I've given job reviews to different people, okay? You know, the job review is the ultimate summary of what you did for the past year. And I can give the same job review with the same scoring to two different people And one person will be appreciative of it, and the other person will go away and say, hmm, I thought I did better than that. And and I'm dead serious about this, because this happens almost every year. There's always one person or somebody, you know, 
Thank your lucky stars you still have a job, daggone it. <laughs> I'm serious. But there's a lack of appreciation. I can see how people are, who are different will have a different response to the same type of comments. Well, we're all different too, aren't we? So how do you think we're all going to respond when we get to the judgment seat of Christ? Now, honestly, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is that I'd be on my knees and on the ground. Because whatever he has to say to me, boy, what can I say? You know what? I'm not sure about that. Oh, no, I can't say that. It's all about perspective, isn't it? And some of us will be grateful that we even have an opportunity to have a judgment seat of Christ visit. Because we barely made it in. Amen? Eh, you know what? And there are a lot of people who are like that. When we talk about deathbed conversions, what are we talking about? You lived your whole life in the flesh. And you decide to make a decision for Christ at the end. Therefore, your little bit of stuff that you have there when you become a believer, that's all you got. So that's going to be a very, very interesting meeting. Something to keep in mind. Y'all so serious, boy. I'm looking at y'all. These faces like, oh, man. Oh, okay. At the judgment seat of Christ, believers are rewarded based on how faithfully they served Christ. Now, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians. We've got a nice uh, passage there to read through. How faithfully you serve Christ. When we talk about service, and this is very important for us to understand, service is everything in while we're, you know, serving and working with him. Service is everything. You know, back in the old days, you know, when they had the monks and the Christians, the Christians who were believers, and they believed in retreating from society and going back into their own little communities, and staying amongst themselves. And in that way, that's fine if they're ministering to other people. But we're called to do something that's totally different from that. What are we called to do? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, all the world is more than your community. Amen? So it's everywhere you go. It's everywhere that the Lord sends you. It's wherever you are moving about. 1 Corinthians 9. Let's start with verse. Let's start with verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? I am saying this from a human perspective. Doesn't the law also say the same thing? What is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. 
If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boasts. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Remember that verse. We'll continue. Verse 17, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make it full use, not make full use of my rights in the gospel. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews to those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law to win those under the law to those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law to the weak. I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. So I've made by every possible means save some. Now, I do all this because of the gospel, so I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we are an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, there's obviously a lot of material in that section there, but go back to that verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, but I am compelled to preach and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I'm trusted with a commission. What is then my reward to preach the gospel and offer free of charge, not make full use use of my rights in the gospel? The thing I want you to take away from this section here is that you are already being called to preach. It should be a natural inclination for you to preach the gospel. Someone shouldn't have to twist your arm to get out and speak about Jesus Christ. And part of discipleship is what? Know the audience that you're speaking to. Some people are weak in the faith. Some people are strong. Some people come from a different perspective. Some people come from, a lot of people come from different perspectives. What do you have to do to speak to people about Christ? Develop a friendship. Develop a relationship with them that you can have that conversation. It doesn't mean you adopt what they do. It doesn't mean that you do things like, hey, I enjoy going clubbing all the time. Hey, I'll come with you. You don't have to do that because that's not helpful for you, is it? Because look at what it says in the last line here. 
in verse 27. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself would not be disqualified. How do you disqualify yourself? You wind up getting into the flesh. You start to mess with your testimony. It does require discipline. This whole thing about living in Jesus' image and making a pact with him, it requires discipline. It requires active participation in the faith. It's not something that you do passively. It's something you have to go after every day. Why do you think we spend so much time talking about a daily reading process? And we've emphasized the two-year Bible plan. Because the two-year Bible plan will help you to stay successful in this reading daily. The seven to ten minutes a day of reading will help you to be successful. But even that requires what? Discipline. Because you still got to open that Bible every day and read every day. You still got to do it. You still have to go after it. We have an active faith. We're going to be judged. This judgment seat of Christ is going to be based upon how active our faith really is. How active is your faith? And many of you are in really, really good shape. And I can say that because it's shown by how you live your life before others. Self-sacrificing, giving of your time, being generous, helping people who are less fortunate. Keeping that in mind as you minister to other people. Showing yourself to be a person of Christ before others. Not because you're bragging but because you're doing exactly what he called you to do. You're called to preach. You're called to live for Christ. Our challenge is to make sure we are maximizing our effort to live for Christ. No matter how old we are. You know, even when you get old and you can't move around, you can still pray. You can still You know, you might not be able to get out and do things. You can still be prayerful. You can still have good conversation. You can be an encourager. One thing I tell the people at the um, assisted living facility when I go there, because I do Bible studies for them once a month. And when I have this conversation with them, now they can't get out. The third floor of the facility is a closed, it's a secure wing. They can't get out and walk around. Whereas the people who live on the floors below, they can move about a little bit more. But the secure wing, there's a secure wing for a reason. It's because there's memory issues. And they're not sure where they're going. They wouldn't know where they're going. But they still have faculties. They still can think. And they can minister to each other. And they can minister to those nurses that come in. Now, not all the nurses are the same. They have different people who come in all the time. They have nurses that work part-time. They're contract nurses. I told them, you can talk to and encourage them by the life you're living for Jesus Christ. So when you think even when you can't get around, you can do a lot. It's the people that you're coming in contact with that you can talk to 
about Jesus Christ. And trust me when I tell you, these folks come from all over the place who are nurses and people who are coming in and working there. They're coming from all kinds of different places. And they all don't know the Lord. Some do, but some don't. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. 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 We're all going to come under judgment. Believers and non-believers. The Bema seat is for us who are believers. But there is the great white throne judgment. That is going to take into account the lives of people who did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes. Your sins are going to come up. Yeah, they were. Yes, they were. You are made righteous in Jesus Christ the moment you acknowledge him as your personal savior. But that doesn't mean. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that. Remember, he separates sin as far away from us as the east is to the west. But that doesn't mean the sin didn't happen and it didn't mean the sin didn't occur. It's still there. As a movie? Yeah, I'm not sure I want to see my movie. <laughs> my movie. Honestly, and that's what I, why I said what I said. I, I wasn't sure about what was written on the comment and got, and got questions, but that's, but that's strictly based upon my impression. It's a personal, I don't know. I would like to believe that it would be a, a joyous overall. It would be a good thing if you're living the way you should be. So maybe that's where we have to kind of, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I, I really don't. I know that the sins are taken care of. I know that I'm not going to be judged beyond that meeting with him. And it may have to do with this whole thing about the crowns and all of that that we, we deal with as well, too. All right, Pastor Gus. Right. Right. That's it. Not about your sin or the sword. But the moment you accept Christ, all that is what? Because as far as the east is from the west. Right. Now, what you become accountable for is how you allow the Holy Spirit to use you and how you then adhere to the word of God. Right. That's what he's holding you accountable for. How did you follow this instruction? Same thing on the job. If, if you don't work on that job, that guy can't hold you accountable for doing anything on that job. So when God tells you to go witness, if you refuse to witness, then you're going to hold you accountable. Absolutely. 
That is what he's going to do because it's based upon his word and what he calls us to do once we become believers. See, once we become believers, we cross this threshold where the words of Scripture have virtually no application to us before we become believers. But once we become believers, now we have accountability based upon his word in Matthew, Matthew 28. And, and one other point that he's making here, too, he made an excellent point about how sin, you're not going to be judged about that sin until you leave here. You have consequences sometimes that result from your sin, which is different. Different. You have consequences. Clearly. Just like when you cut class when you were in college. Maybe y'all didn't cut class. Well, you know, that's ultimately you, you have to account for that in some way because you, you missed out on your education. But what's the consequence of that? But guess what? It's still sin. Yeah. I'll get you, Pearl, one second. I'm sorry. I would, I would think so, only because we know there are some people who don't come to know the Lord until very, very late. Oh, yeah, there's a maturity issue there. I would think so, in all fairness, because that's what a person who comes to know Christ on his deathbed or her deathbed, you don't know a lot. You don't know anything. You just know that the Lord, you need the Lord in your life right then and there, and that's all you really have. Yeah, uh, let me get Pearl. She was had her hand up. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think uh, I think Faith just kind of hit on what I was I was going to say. So, in other words, for us to once we come to Christ, mm-hmm. for us to continually say, "Well, I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know that." That's a cop out. That absolutely is a cop out. You're called to read his word. You are called to study. You are called to learn more about him. And the spirit is the teacher that he gives you internally. If you choose to ignore the spirit, that's a huge cop out. Huge cop out. Remember, you don't have the power of the spirit before you become a believer. The spirit is the one who gets you saved. There's the difference. He gets you saved. But ultimately, once you have the Holy Spirit, you have all kinds of ability. And it's just like the athlete who wastes his talent by not working out properly or not doing things they should be. You're wasting your talent. You're wasting your time. I'll come back to you. I know you had your hand. Yes, sir. For believers in Christ, we have access to the demon suit. Yes. She just brought up the, the part about the white throne. Yes. That's not for us. It would be for us had we not accepted Christ. That's correct. The white throne is for those who chose not to accept Christ. Doesn't mean that we still don't have a conversation with Christ. It just means that those other people go to the white throne. So we're still held accountable for our actions as the Bema Sheep. But without accepting Christ, we would be going to the white throne. Yes. In order to get to the Bema Sheep, we have to accept Christ. That's right. So... Even a deathbed confession will get you to the Bema seat. But you're still going to have a conversation. It's not a conversation, but it's not the right throne. Mm-hmm. So it's safe to say that because God created you, you were immediately created with 
the importance of accountability for your life. Whether you become a believer or not, you have accountability for your life. Because everyone was created for a reason and a purpose. But if you don't live according to your purpose, which ultimately is to live for Jesus Christ, you are accountable for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he pops in with their conscious or not. Yep. Uh, and they said, Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. Yep. And they say that uh, they have sinned with knowledge of sin and mm-hmm. they repent of their sin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I have a question. The fact is, is once you do that, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit leaves you. That's right. And once you acknowledge your sin from past, they are forgiven. You have to acknowledge that you need a Savior. Mm-hmm. Once you acknowledge you need a Savior, you've just acknowledged all your sins. So, yeah. I wonder if, if, you, if it's been wiped clean at that time because they received it, they acknowledge their sin, and they truly repented of that sin. Mm-hmm. Whether they have to go through the white throne to see their sin again. No. Not the white throne. It's all Bema seat. Remember, once you acknowledge Christ, you immediately have a trip to the Bema seat. Your trip is booked. Okay? Just like we book trips, your trip is already booked to the Bema seat. Now, what happens when you get there is something, something totally different. <laughs> so we have to look at it from that standpoint, too. Oh, Arella's about to wring Roscoe's neck. I'm going to move, move over here. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> that junior theologian over there. Um, <laughs> good question. Maturity, we look at from a fleshly yeah. position. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why when Paul talks about he acted like a child, and when he became a man, mm-hmm. he put away things. Then Peter talks about being a babe in Christ and mm-hmm. so forth. So they're giving us an illustration. But you hit it on the head when you said the Holy Spirit. Yeah. From the time the Holy Spirit is, if the Holy Spirit convicts a person and they accept Christ, they're saved right there by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Immediate. In our journey, in our walk with Christ, as we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. not so much our maturity, because sometimes our maturity can lean us away from the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. because now we're trusting on our what? Our own knowledge. That's our true. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. But if we just listen to the Holy Spirit all the way through, mm-hmm. boy, what a difference it would make in our life. Yeah. But the reason why I said maturity, sometimes you don't realize the Holy Spirit speaking to you as you're growing. You know what I mean? And so sometimes well, well, there's a problem there, isn't there? No, but what I'm saying, there are times where I know what I did. I would struggle with, is it me or is it the Holy Spirit? God taught me over time, but I'm thinking during those times when I wrestled, and maybe I did some pride, that was in me. So I'm going to be judged for that. But I didn't really understand clearly at those times in some of those gray areas whether or not it was the Holy Spirit or me. And that's why I asked this movie, Maturity, was a person... But the flesh counts for what? Nothing. Right. But it's all in our obedience to the Holy Spirit in which we are led in serving the Lord. 
Yeah, the class has ended too. Well, you know what? No, I, I, there were some there were some great points here. I, I think we're going to need to finish this up next week, even though we're right at the end. Sure, sounds good. He thought of it now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Advocate. Yes. When you have an advocate at court, it's your lawyer. That's right. The one you don't lie to is who? Your lawyer. And if you kill the guy, you tell your lawyer you what? You killed him. Because he still has to advocate for you. If you yep. stole or whatever, you, you got to be completely honest with your who. That's right. And that's what that demon suit is. You're that's right. Completely honest. You are going to be stripped of any, there won't be any fleshly thought coming in, coming in there because that's all be stripped away. All right, we got to end because uh, we we want to stay on time. You've got some great stuff to think about as we move forward. You have the handout, so be prepared. We'll do some more this next week in the morning right as we start out and finish this up, and we'll move into some other things about heaven and scriptures as well, too. So good discussion today. Right at the end of class, too. Just a coincidence. Father, we just thank you for this time you've given us to come before you and just hear you speak to us. We thank you for how you provoke us to think and think things through about our relationship with you. Lord, help us to not have to be pushed to do the things that you compel us to do because, Lord, you're the one who we are doing these things for. And we should be doing them freely and willingly because of how much you love us and care for us. Thank you for this lesson today. Thank you for this greater understanding about what you would have us to do. And thank you for giving us understanding about this Bema seat and this judgment. Lord, we now pray for the upcoming message and the speaker, and we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next time.